Hey, this is Annie. And Samantha. And welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You, a production of iHeartRadio. Today, listeners, we're so excited to once again be joined by our friend, Bridget Todd. Hello, Bridget. Hello. I'm so excited to be back here with y'all. Yay. We're so excited to have you um, for the the series that you have um, <laughs> about women on the internet, where I suggested it be called Winternet, but no one replied. Oh, so I, I think like that's Winternet. I think, you know, I, I like that. I think it's very positive. Women are winning the internet. We're winning it every day. I like it. Okay, All right. see, that to me, I was like, someone has to explain to me why you said this again, because I'm confused. Is it because it's in winter? Is it because we're approaching winter? No, <laughs> women on the internet, winter internet. Gotcha. And you know, I, I was waiting after I sent that anxiously for positive feedback of my genius. <laughs> the hours ticked by no response. <laughs> anyway, I thought I'd bring that up just to comfort myself. Um, Perfect. We are very glad to have you. And uh, before we started recording, we were just chatting about the election and some of our thoughts around that. And I did want to ask, Bridget, since you're in D.C., how has that been? Well, it's been a... Can I swear? Show. Yeah. (laughs) It's been a bit of a show. Um, What's wild is that, as we were just sort of talking about, it's not over. You know, here in D.C., Our city, before the election, our city was sort of hunkering down, as I'm sure George Atlanta was too, putting, you know, boards on the windows and that kind of thing. This weekend, there's going to be a Proud Boy March in D.C., Mm -hmm. so we're all sort of preparing for that. So it feels very much like even though the election happened, we're still sort of dealing with the impacts. But I do know, even though I was not in D.C. on election day, um, all my friends and, you know, neighbors and community were, and... It was a party on the streets. Like, I cannot mm-hmm. tell you. I knew people were going to be happy when Trump was voted out of office. I didn't know it was going to be spray champagne <laughs> with strangers in the streets happy. I didn't know it was going to be people hanging out of, like, windows, screaming yeah. in jubilation happy. Yeah. And I can tell you, I have never... The only thing I have seen that came even close, I happened to be in Paris when France won the World Cup. That's yeah. the only oh. thing that came close to like the vibe on the streets in DC. <laughs> yeah, I heard that it was uh, champagne sales in DC were higher than the past two New Year's combined. Yes, I think we're just you know, as as a city, like I've lived in DC for most of my life. I think that people from DC, like like DC long haulers, we really have a lot of like city pride, and so I think. When, you know, I lived here during the tail end of the Bush years, I lived here for all of the Obama years and then the Trump years. And I think the Trump years just were so sad and dark for people who lived in D.C. And they were like, oh, this guy's in my town, in my community. I once saw Ivanka Trump outside of a soul cycle in D.C. You know, it's like oh. you would see these people. And so I think the vibe is just so jubilant that we are rid of them. That we don't that like <laughs> come January, they will leave and we might not have to see them again. That is a very is, exciting thought. <laughs> uh, you know what? I, I immediately it. felt like brain space. It was amazing. Oh, it's like, Just get freed up. It's like taking off your bra. <laughs> it, really, yes. it really was. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I felt like, I think I just said, felt like I had just finished running. And I was at that point of just sitting exhausted. But at least one less thing was on us and on me. And I was like, yep, yep, okay. And now I'm going to pass out because now I can rest. 
<laughs> exactly. Yeah. But we can't. No, no. And I do want to say, I've, I've, gotten, I've gotten in the habit of saying the date, which is always a risky proposition, but today is Friday the 13th, so I do know it. Um, of March. Just because... It's not As we record this of March. <laughs> I was so <laughs> proud of myself for the 13th. You were so close. There was a Friday the 13th in March. <laughs> yeah, um, there was. You're correct. But it's not yes. March. <laughs> See, I'm, I'm very I well. Yes. <laughs> it's November. I Okay, thank you for that correction. Very important. <laughs> but just because as we record this, Trump still hasn't... Uh, conceded. Conceded. <laughs> so uh, you never know. Things change really fast. <laughs> These days. Um, But the last time you were here, Bridget, you were talking a lot about misinformation and disinformation and all of that, especially ramping up to the election and the intersectionality of it when um, we talk about gender or race. And now that the election has happened... Uh, that's something that you wanted to revisit, yes? Exactly. You know, I have been studying and working on disinformation for a while, and I kind of erroneously thought like, oh, well, when the election happens, we will be able to close the door on this Pandora's box of false information, online harassment, misleading stories, and the like. How wrong we were, you know? (laughs) Luckily, election officials really were predicting that from the time the election happened, so from November 3rd, to the time that we had an uncontested, you know, winner that everybody agreed on, that would really be a hotbed of disinformation. And that really was exactly what we saw. So I'm happy that some people were at least prepared for it and, like, were taking the actions and the steps necessary to, like, get us all on the same page about what we would be seeing. Because that's exactly what happened. You know, on election day, even as votes were still being counted, Trump tweeted that he had won. He declared himself the winner. Obviously, that's, like, just a fabrication is based based right. in nothing. Um, so yeah, we really saw false stories, disinformation, and like outright lies being spread about our our election and our democratic process from election day itself. Yeah, and and ongoing. Like it's one of those things that I'm almost surprised it can still surprise me right. that so many people eagerly are buying into these things. Um, just, you know, the accounts of dead people voting, like millions of dead people voting, or um, Sharpies, all of these oh. things. Yeah, yeah. And Sharpie um, Gate, and seeing like Trump's Twitter line and like Twitter line, Twitter feed, and every tweet was being flagged right. for all this passing of false information. Um, and I know we're going to talk about like how has social media been. Have they been doing anything about this? So I, I'm sure the, I'm sure the last time I was here, I was crapping on social media platforms, and they deserve to be crapped on. By the way, I'm not, I am yes. not conceding that. But I will, have, I have to give them this. I do think they are trying. They have spent a long time kind of dragging their feet, and so part of me wonders if it's like a little bit like too, too little, too late. But I want to give credit where credit is due. I do think some of these platforms just saw that like certain things just can't be left up, and so. As Annie, as you just said, uh, Twitter was taking down or at least putting disclaimers on Trump's misleading tweets about the election. On election day and the day after, his Twitter feed looked like one of those redacted memos where things are like blacked out because he was tweeting so many false or misleading lies about the election. And so I was happy to see that, you know, Facebook has announced a couple of changes that that they're making, including um, turning off their group recommendation feature so that like... You know, if you are in a group that might typically how, how people get radicalized on a platform like Facebook, you're, you'll be in one group 
And then Facebook's algorithm might be like, oh, well, you enjoy your Second Amendment rights. Maybe you want to be part of this group that advocates for exercising those Second Amendment rights at a polling station, right? Like, you know, these, these groups inch up more and more aggressive and more and more extreme. And so they turned off that feature and it's not clear when that feature will be turned back on. Actually, right before coming to chat with you ladies, I was in a, in a call with Facebook senior leadership and they are not, it's not clear when they are going to be turning this feature back on, but like, we think it should be at least until after inauguration, just so that, you know, yeah. we can close this chapter and move on to the next chapter. Um, I'll say like, you know, as much as I crap on the leaders of these social media platforms, it is better for them to do something than nothing. So I definitely want to give credit where credit is due in terms of them taking actual steps to, you know, address this. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I was shocked when I saw that they were going to, until inauguration day, I was very happy, but I was surprised. <laughs> right. Um, and... Uh, Cheryl Sandberg specifically has kind of been a part of this conversation, right? Oh, yes. So what's interesting about Cheryl Sandberg, and I should say full disclosure, like I bought her book, Lean In. There was a time in my life where her brand of feminism, I was like down to give it a shot. You know, I wanted to see what she had to say. I think it's Mm -hmm. been interesting how she has really been able to largely avoid a lot of the heat. Like when you think about Mm -hmm. tech platforms behaving badly, I feel like, Mark Zuckerberg really takes up a lot of the air in the room. And we kind of let Sheryl Sandberg, at least in my view, kind of skirt by. You know, I think for a while, I think there was a vibe that, you know, Zuckerberg and these tech bros at Facebook are just running wild. And Sheryl Sandberg is doing the best she can to like rein them in. Now I think that 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 reputation was completely unearned. I think that these days she is definitely taking some heat. Kara Swisher earlier tweeted, Cheryl Sandberg and the rest of Facebook executive team, you are presiding over a toxic and dangerous stew of misinformation and purposeful propaganda. And it is a clear abdication of the job that you are charged with. For those of us who know you personally, for shame. And that's a pretty, I I imagine that these two women are probably friends in the tech space. And I think, you know, gone are the days where you can just sort of be like, oh, well, I work here, but like, you know, I'm doing the best Mm -hmm. I can. I think that people are fed up enough that, I think that even people who have been able to avoid this kind of um, this kind of scrutiny are getting pulled into it. Right. Yeah, I actually just saw uh, another tweet about the fact that you are now a part of the problem. Even if you aren't the one or you aren't the one propagating these things, if you work for them and understand this is what's happening, you are complicit to their neglect and or feeding into this disinformation and this use of abuse or uh, for another brand or another conversation or the bigger conversation of (laughs) the abuse that the presidency has done in the past four years and or their followers. Absolutely. That's such a good point. You know, what's so interesting to me about this is, you know, there was a time in my life where a job at Facebook would have been the most exciting thing in the world for me. But those days are gone because I would never Mm -hmm. work at Facebook. But, you know, I've often wondered, like, when are we going to see... Facebook and some of these platforms that allow for our democracy to be attacked in these ways, when are sort of individual rank and file tech employees going to, when are we going to make it like an uncool place to work, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I feel like there are so many industries where, you know, if you choose to go into this industry, people might look at you a little bit funny. And Mm -hmm. I think we're seeing those conversations happen now. But what I also think is very interesting is that at a lot of these companies, 
oftentimes it's just the rank and file staff who want to be part of the solution. They want, they don't want to be making tools that like wreck our democracy and like wreck our elections. They want to be, they, they got into tech because they want to make change. And I think what we really see now is like rank and file staffers trying to agitate from within, but the leadership, the people who actually have the power within the organization to do something, not listening to them. Mm-hmm. Which happens so often. Exactly. (laughs) They're just looking at numbers and end of story and not listening to what's the actual real world ramifications of what's happening. Um, I was actually using Facebook as my point of trying to see where we were on the election night. Like, okay, this state has been called and this state has been called and this state has been called. And it was really interesting to watch the different people react on Facebook as well. And it's really, really disheartening because it's not just the president and his little minions. It is the Republican Party who are backing him. And that is so, so dangerous for them to sit there and be like, this is all false. This is all uh, not legal votes or illegal votes, which is a whole other rhetoric in itself and so disgusting. But then it starts, you start questioning, well, you you just got reelected. Do we need to look at your numbers as well? I mean, what is happening with this conversation? And why are they dissecting it in such a way that people believe parts and bits of lies, but not the whole actuality? That's such a good point. It's What's so funny is if you look at the different claims that are being made, all of these claims are baseless, but if you look at the different claims that are being made that like, oh, there was a voting irregularity here, there's voter fraud there. So many of them are, like they couldn't all be true, right? Some of them are contradictory. Some of them like, are opposite, where you're like, oh, so they were throwing poles in the river and also the Sharpie thing and this watermark thing. Like, it, yeah. it, would, it, it would be, it's not possible for them all to be true. It's just like <laughs> such a, such a like mixed bag of wild ass conspiracies. And no one has stopped, like, I, we're just like picking and sh- people are just picking and choosing the ones that suit them. Like, in some states, they're saying, stop the count. And other right. states are saying, no, continue the count. It's like, well, which one is <laughs> yeah. it? It can't be both. Right. Yeah. I'm a firm believer people will do all kinds of mental gymnastics to believe what they want to believe. Um, so I guess looking at these claims that we saw during the election, um, could you, I know you've talked about it a little bit, but uh, how did we see them play out? What should we continue to look for? And what ultimately is uh, like the main purpose of these? It's a great question. You know, Definitely Trump was the one I feel leading the charge into this idea that the election was rigged in some way or, you know, that something fishy happened. To be like absolutely 100% crystal clear, there has been no documented evidence of voting irregularity of any kind in this election. It's just not, it's just not there. There is no, it's just like end of sentence, period, point blank. And so we Mm -hmm. see these continued, this continued narrative that the election was stolen or rigged all the things that y'all mentioned, this whole Sharpie gate thing, this idea that poll workers were ripping up uh, Trump votes or like that a Biden-Harris van, like something like something out yeah. of Scooby-Doo or something, like a yeah. Biden-Harris ba- van. They weren't, they're smart enough to try to rig an election. They're not smart enough to not have Biden-Harris on the side of the van they pull up in. <laughs> sure, it makes complete yeah. sense. You know, these stories of like a van pulling up and like bags of ballots being like smuggled out and then it speeds away. This is stuff from movies, y'all. This is not reality. So all of these like baseless claims. And I think the point is, one, when you have so many different claims of voting irregularity, 
I think one of the points is just to overwhelm. It overwhelms both like fact checkers and poll workers, people whose job it is to look into this kind of thing. And I think it just overwhelms your average person. When you hear over and over and over and over again, all of these stories amplified about voting irregularities and the election being rigged and all of that, eventually when you hear things enough, it doesn't really matter if there's evidence or not. It doesn't really matter if it's true or not. That's how disinformation works. It creates this sort of false reality and it, and it, it kind of doesn't even matter if there's evidence or if it's true. And so unfortunately, the, the point of all of this is to drive home this idea that our elections are rigged, that, our, that the election was stolen, that our democracy does not work. And I have to say, unfortunately, I think in some ways, Trump has been a little bit effective at doing this. I think mm-hmm. despite the fact that there have been no, uh, no documented cases of voting irregularity in this election, we've already seen like Republican leadership using the phrase illegal votes, mm-hmm. right? And so th- even that phrase itself is a misnomer. And I'm so mm-hmm. disappointed to, to see that that phrase is making its way into our, our vocabulary because right. you can't have illegal votes if there's no documented widespread voter irregularities or fraud. So it's like, right. a, it's like a fiction. And it's right. disappointing to see the way that this fiction has already been sort of like made real in the minds of some mm-hmm. people. And I, you know, I just think... Obviously, no, no elected official should be getting up, should be using their platform to lie. But I think when you lie to people about the, the efficacy of our, of our democracy, that is, something, that is something that's like truly beyond the pale. Like, right. just like really sit with that. We have the leader of our country purposely trying to make people lose faith in our democratic system. Like, there are plenty of people who have been in the White House, who have been elected officials that I didn't agree with and I didn't like, but they wouldn't do that. Like, that is a right. very different thing. Right. I mean, he kind of, uh, Trump was the basis of having his personal account being uh, constant during his term. No one else did that. No one else had that to this level, especially with the followers. And, and I did want to ask uh, specifically to the language, how... Obviously, it's a big key, but it seems like Trump in himself has figured out that if he makes specific phrases that are grammatically able to be catchy enough, Mm. that it spreads like wildfire. How dangerous and how often has that been used, especially for this election? I know that's probably a random-ass question, but (laughs) I was just thinking about that. It's It's a great question. You are exactly right. And what's so annoying about Trump, like, I hate, I hate to give him, like your, your listeners who like don't feel the way that I do about Trump are probably like, we get it, you hate Trump. But <laughs> the thing that is, gets me about him is that he's so effective at certain things. And one of those things yeah. is just what you said, right? Speaking in, in sound bites and quotables. And I think, you know, like even the phrase itself, illegal votes. Right. If you didn't know any better, it sounds it sounds so reasonable. Like, Ivan, like uh, Ivanka Trump tweeted, I think the day after the election, we should count every legal vote and don't and not count illegal votes. This shouldn't be controversial. And on its face, you're like, oh, who would disagree with that? But when you okay. actually take it apart, when, when you have to like bring in a little bit of nuance or like thoughtfulness around it, you think, wait a minute, there aren't there aren't illegal votes. So like why even have that be in the conversation? It really creates this like false equivalency. But I think you are spot on and that Trump has this ability to speak in sound bites or tweets that can really catch on. Like, 
think of all these like wacky nicknames that he's given people like Sleepy <laughs> Joe and you know right. all, all, all like little Marco like he I mean I have to give it to him he I know a catchphrase when I hear one and like he really right. you can just really tell <laughs> We have a lot more to get into in this conversation, but first we have a quick break for a word from our sponsor. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. One thing I've noticed, and I do attribute this to this spread of misinformation and disinformation and Trump being really effective at this is my sense of reality is really warped now. Like, I, I feel like I can't trust things that should, I should be like, yes, yeah. that is the truth. I don't have that anymore. Like, I remember when people were texting me about that Four Seasons Total Landscaping. I was like, <laughs> I don't, this can't be true. And I was like, looking at it, like, just, I don't, uh, reality. Yeah. This I, is amazing. Really, Oh, well, I mean, it was hilarious. I'm glad right. it was true. Yes. Um, but uh, that's just something I feel like this whole election we're going to have to reckon with and all of this misinformation and disinformation. And when we were chatting before, we were talking about being in Georgia, which right before we came on was sort of officially projected to be a blue state. And we have these looming Senate races, two Senate races in our state. Um, so I know that this isn't going to go away anytime soon, but even for people outside of Georgia, now that this presidential election has come and gone, why is it important that we keep having these conversations about disinformation and misinformation? Oh, I'm so glad you asked that. Well, one thing, I, I do want to go back to something that you said about, you know, this feeling of living in a, in a false reality. I definitely identify yeah. with that. Like the total landscaping thing was a good example. When the story first broke that Trump had COVID, I remember thinking, like, does he really have it? Like, is he right. just saying that? Like, and it really revealed to me the depths to which I felt like I had been sort of gaslighted by this administration. Whereas, like, I could, yeah. I felt like I couldn't trust my own perception of reality. And during the day before the election, um, my father, who is you know sixty five, he had a health incident, and so we went to the hospital. And let me tell you, and so the issue that he had was like cognitive. He was having trouble with his memory and and having trouble kind of like understanding what was going on. He's much better now, but that was the situation on election day. And let me tell you, when we were trying to watch election results, he would he would be like asleep and then wake up and they would be showing like a little clip of a speech where Trump appears to be, you know, claiming himself a victor. And my dad would be like, wait, did Trump win? And it was so difficult for me to be like, I know that you're, I know that you've been in and out. I, I can't explain to you why this is not... Like, I know you're seeing Trump say that he won on television. All right. I can tell you is it's not true. I know it seems like it happened, but trust me that it didn't. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, this is a wild-ass thing to have to be explaining to somebody that, like, like yeah. why am I watching Trump on TV say that he won the election when the election does not seem to be over? I was like, I know, Dad, it's wild. What can I tell you? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> but to your question, you know, in terms of what we should be looking out for now, you know, this is not over. And, and we will have to continue to be vigilant about disinformation and misinformation, as, like more so, I think, than, than we were before. You know, our, the entire control of our Senate is going to come down to Georgia. We've already seen disinformation 
on social media, specifically as it pertains to poll workers and vote counters, right? We've had stories of people who had to go into hiding because of rumors spread on social media about the the vote count process. And we know that when we get to these Georgia runoffs, that's just going to be worse. And I have to say, the majority of poll workers in this country are women and Black women. And so we know that Black women and women are disproportionate recipients of attacks when it comes to disinformation on social media. And so it's only going to get worse. And that's why it's so important that these platforms and these companies figure out what their commitment is to protecting our democracy now, right? Like it is, it is, we know it's going to happen. It is not enough to just wait and let poll workers be attacked and let Facebook be used to, you know, organize people who want to show up in real life with, with weapons for a, like extremist meetings, you know, in, in, uh, in real life. We, don't, we know that these things are threats. We know that these things are going to happen. So what we want is for people to be, the people with power to be proactive at building a plan for what they are going to do when these things happen and to stop them before they start. But, you know, even though we have a winner, uh, a, a, a new president, it is not over. And it's just going to be that much more important. Also with the fact that Kamala Harris is going to be in the White House. We know that when Obama was elected, it's not like birtherism and racist attacks on him stopped. In fact, they got worse. Right. And so I think with a Black woman in the White House, we are going to just continue to see these real horrible attacks rooted in her, her identity continue to right. flourish. Right. And then speaking of, you did mention about that the most of the poll workers being women, as well as Kamala Harris, the things that she goes through. How is disinformation and misinformation a gender justice issue? How is that pertaining to women specifically? In so many different ways. You know, even just look at COVID. The majority of essential workers are women. The majority of people in the healthcare field are women. However, when we have, like, one of the big topics where disinformation, misinformation flourishes is COVID and and, and how you stay safe with COVID. And so if you have platforms that are allowing for misinformation and false stories pertaining to COVID just flourish, you're hurting the women who are essential workers who, ha- who, are, who are the majority of the people who are at the front lines of the, of the pandemic right now, healthcare workers, the majority of which are women, being impacted. And so really when you start pulling these things apart and seeing who is being hurt, which communities are, are having to shoulder a disproportionate level of harm, it, it's always women and it's always mm-hmm. us. And so, mm-hmm. you know, thinking about these things from a perspective of like, oh, well, it just harms everybody equally, that would, be, that would be great if it was true, but we know that's not true. We know it is women who end up shouldering a disproportionate amount of the impact. Mm-hmm. That's a great point. Um, I was researching some numbers around, like, the predictions of COVID cases in, in this winter that's been called a dark winter. <laughs> and I was so, like, I was getting anxious looking at these things. And it's just so frustrating that you have a safety measure that shouldn't have been politicized, but it was. And now people are getting sick and dying because of it. And it is a part of that, of getting these messages from the very top that, uh, you know, don't wear a mask. I don't see the point. It's fine. Um, And seeing these stories. And I mean, to me, they sound ridiculous of claims like, well, you breathe the COVID back in and it's worse if you wear a mask (laughs) and things like that. But it's working. Like people are... Buying into it. Um, Yeah, so you can really see, like, the effectiveness of this. And right now, specifically, the deadly deadliness of it. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I really, I'm so glad that you brought that up. I really think if we ever are able to get COVID under control, 
I think we need to have a real serious conversation as a nation about the way that we allowed sexism and up attitudes around gender to hurt people. And a lot of those people were women, right? Like even mm. on top of what you, the, the point that you just made about how masks were really feminized, it's women. When you look at who the majority of the people who have like lost wages and lost jobs and checked mm-hmm. out of the workforce altogether, it's women, right? Mm-hmm. I've seen story after story about how women have just had to like absorb the blowback of this pandemic. And so on top of that, like, like we are the ones who are being disproportionately harmed and displaced and, you know, marginalized by the pandemic. And on top of that, like, people are still equating just like the basic common sense protocols of how we can like stay safe with like women, they're, therefore bad, you know, talking about how like wearing a mask makes you like some kind of a like, I don't know, fem- feminized soy boy or something. It, it, it really is so harmful and mm-hmm. if, if there's ever been something that showed us how dangerous and corrosive and toxic ge- like these ideas of gender can be, it should be the pandemic. Right. I mean, we saw it in just in environmental issues. That was so gendered. Yeah. And they're like, wait, we're trying to save the world. And you want to say you can't do that because it makes you look feminine? What in the hell is wrong with (laughs) you? But it seems like when it comes to caring and empathy, it's automatically assumed that that is going to be feminine and that it shows weakness. To show that you care shows weakness. So therefore, don't do it. And it's such an absurdity because we talked about this the last time, how Donald Trump's campaign all rode into that, that masculine is the only way to be. And if we really want this country to be great again, is to go back to the norm of uh, heteronormative ideas of the 1920s, essentially. (laughs) It is such an absurdity in itself that we would rather look strong and I say that in a very, like, loose manner than to care for others. Mm. Yeah. You know, it's such a, so absurd. And, you know, and then seeing that also is the same thing with the misinformation and disinformation in the politics. I've seen the misinformation that's happening already in our Senate race where they're taking things out of context and sending it out, where they're allowing for... Uh, Trump tactics. I don't know if there's going to be a co- like an actual term for that soon, um, where our our Republican senators and incumbents are using that and fell fully into that yes. to the point that we have a QAnon person going into yeah. the House that's representing us because they are allowing for this as the norm. And the fact of the matter is, it's still working enough that we have a runoff instead of a win. Ugh, like that. It- Yes, a thousand times yes. I could not be um, like snapping my fingers and nodding my head in, in in agreement. And like, just really think about that. The fact that caring about others, empathy, that's being framed as something that's bad, something that you don't want from your your leaders, right? That is that doesn't make any sense. It's good to care about others. Caring about others is not a bad thing. I think when Biden did his town hall, and just to be clear, like. I'm happy that he's going to be our next president, but like he is not the end all be all of like progressivism or by any means. Right. But right. when he did his town hall, I don't remember who it was, but some Republican was like, oh, it was almost like watching Mr. R- an episode of Mr. Rogers. Right. You know, it was just like, like, we get it, you care. And I was like, why is that a bad thing? Like, like, where have we how, what like what world are we living in where, you know, <laughs> all caps tweets are good. Like, all all caps tweets about how, like, you have been cheated, that's good. And, like, empathy, Mm -hmm. that's bad. Like, like, up is down, black is white. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what's wrong well with that. Mr. Rogers? I know. <laughs> we do have some more for you listeners, but first we're going to pause for a quick break for a word from our sponsor. Thank you, sponsor. I think the difference between the left and the right right now, the extreme right, I will say, and the extreme left, is we don't see these people as, I say we, the left does not see people as gods. This is not our choice. This is not someone that like God blessed them into the situation mm-hmm. or whoever you worship made this person for us. It's going to fix everything. No, we're just trying to find out what normal is. And we just really want to get back to the point that we don't have to fight with people every day about Again, the lies about the masks and the lies about whether or not we should shut down CDC or whether we should care or whether we should fight with a 10-year-old girl who cares about her environment. Like, (laughs) we just want to get to the point where that's not a thing. But we see that the right, like, I have seen so many freaking memes about Jesus touching Donald Trump. Like, I have never in my life been like, what is with this? (laughs) With this kind of level of worship for a man who doesn't give a shit. Honestly, in the end, other than wanting to win. Absolutely. I mean, that's what I always tell people as someone who has been in politics and activism and organizing on the left for a very long time. No elected official is like your best friend, right? You are electing someone that you think you can move, that you think you can push, that you are that you are down to be holding accountable for four years. And you know, I'm no huge fan of Biden Harris. I'm ha- I voted for them. I'm happy they're in the White House, but. I'm more happy to spend the next four years pushing them and holding them accountable and, you know, making hard asks, right? Like, I think that when you are picking an elected official, you want to pick somebody that you can see yourself holding accountable and not picking, like, this is an American idol. You're not picking your, like, you know, your best friend for life or, like, someone who you think is going to be, you know, the best ever. It just doesn't work that way. Like, every, I feel like every politician eventually will break your heart. And so you really just got to be thinking strategic about who you pick and who you vote for. But it's certainly, you know, yeah, like this idea that Trump has been blessed by God or something. I mean, like, I, I guess I, I have a lot of questions about people who feel, who, who feel that way, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Again, so do I, because I'm very, very confused. You know, there's another thought, and this may be a whole episode in itself, and I think we probably will. But the idea, like when I'm talking about religion, when we're talking about God in general, that that does play on this very heteronormative idea of what is chosen and what is good and what is not what is not good. Because, you know, we can talk about the fact that a majority of people who are voting in the right are doing it based on abortion right. and anti-abortion and their quote-unquote pro-life stance. And that term should be done away with anyway. Um, and it does. It seems like it hones in on women in itself, like especially those who have grown up in religious bases. And I wonder also, because that's what I see in play a lot of the time to get at people uh, for that stance, like the commercials and stuff. One of the big conversations, one of the big points they say is, we are here to support police. We are here to keep uh, the way of life, the American way of life. And it's such a weird rhetoric, but it seems to work for those who are steeped in tradition. Um, As in fact, Judge Alito just uh, has kind of stepped into some controversy because he just finally said what he felt and that he wanted to bring traditional 
American households back to what it was. And this is like, this is love and this is morality. And it's kind of interesting that we can look at some of that misinformation and, and making sure they use that as a prop to get those voters and to keep those voters. And it majority works with older white women. Yes, it, it really is. It's so effective. You know, I've seen um, disinformation around abortion. Like I've seen memes on Facebook, especially where they're trying to, they, they'll say like, oh, you're, a woman can terminate a pregnancy at, you know, up until the moment that she gives birth. And it's like, no, if someone, if someone, is, term, yeah. if someone is doing an abortion that late in the game, it, some, something else is going on, right? Like, right. like we, I've seen so many, so many instances where it's just outright lies about abortion because disinformers know that these topics that require a little bit of nuance or that are emotionally charged like those are the ones that really work, and you know, I think it, I think that you're right about it being something that really does move voters. And I, and I have to say, a growing demographic of Latin of the Latinx community voted for Trump, and abortion was an issue that they self-reported as something that that moved them. That they are not they're that they're not okay with the fact that the Biden Harris administration is pro-choice. And so I do think there is so much more work to be done around how we message voters on these topics that require a little bit of sensitivity and a little bit of nuance to discuss. I think that we have so much work to be done. And I think right. on the left, I'm excited to see us starting to have some conversations around like, well, how can we, how can we provide off-ramps for people who have been misled by very savvy disinformers? To be clear, right. I don't know what that looks like. That is like, I'm happy to have those conversations. But I do think, you know, we have a country where a good chunk of people have been really cruelly misled by very effective disinformers around things like QAnon, around things like reproductive care. And I do want to build off-ramps for those people to be like, listen, things got wild there and you got, you got, you got taken by somebody who did not have your best interests at heart. Here's how we get you back to where you, you need to be. You know, I, I want to be part of those conversations. Right. I mean, that is a big question because I definitely have, you know, we've talked about it before with my family in itself and trying to have these conversations and just literally just fights and crying. Like that's what ends <laughs> up happening. But how do you approach this in a way that you can have a constructive conversation without being angry with one another because you know it, of course they have their ideas and and I've heard my parents ideas and I grew up under their par my parents ideas but I came from that to this to seeing the practical like uh this is where the lies were and this is why this is incorrect and I've been with friends who have had to have as what they would call late term abortion and not uh, by the way I've heard it's, have I've heard them recently say after birth abortions mm. and I'm still trying to figure that out so I'm like are you talking about killing babies? It's happening. <laughs> uh, so I, that in itself has been a new platform too. I was like, y'all are going real, real <laughs> into this. Uh, but talking to them about their tragedy and having to be there and, and the fact that this, like going through these painful things and then being accused of doing something so horrible as in like you killed your child. Right. You did this on purpose. And I, just to watch that conversation and trying to sit down and I'm like, you understand what you're doing, right? You are vilifying the very people who are with you and want these children and love these, you know, love these unborn babies as you want to, you know, whatever you want to call and term them. It's the fact that they intended to have this child, but they couldn't. And that is tragedy in itself. But how do you have these conversations of like, 
we need to break down and be able to communicate with each other. And also, I need to be able to tell you, hey, that video you just posted, yeah, it's bullshit. And yes. it's, it is ridiculous. How do we? How do you have these conversations? So I have a lot to say about this. One, <laughs> I think on the abortion part of this specifically, I think it really comes down to abortion storytelling. There have been so many amazing groups like We Testify, um, Shout Out to Abortion, who have been doing such amazing work in this space, mm-hmm. really helping people tell their stories about their abortion experience in a way that can counter some of this misinformation and disinformation, right? I also think, you know, for heterosexual folks out there or folks who have, like, male-identified folks out there, I don't like the fact that oftentimes talking about abortion and talking about reproductive care is just seen as, like, a woman's job or a woman's role. When we know that, so many men out there have benefited from abortion. And I don't like the fact that it's just like on us as women to, to, to be bearing our souls on something that is very sensitive and like difficult to talk about sometimes. It's just up to us. And so I think more men should be stepping up to the plate and be like, yeah, abortion impacted my life in these ways. And here's what it looks like for us or here's what it looked like for me, right? It shouldn't just be on us to, to shoulder this burden. In terms of how we talk to our families about some of the disinformation that they can get wrapped up in. Uh, Pen America Foundation has a wonderful guide. If you just Google Pen America and, and misinformation on how you talk to your family, you know, about disinformation. And some of the things they recommend are do it in private. Like you don't want to be doing it on a public Facebook post. One, because you might be just like pushing that wild post into more people's feeds. And then also it's like, it's just, oh, it's weird when you get called out in public. People, it just, people can mm-hmm. be already on the defensive. So if you do it in private, if you send them a private message or call them on the phone, it might be a little bit better so that it's not, they're not coming from a place of like, well, all my followers are watching this interaction and I have right. to react in a certain yeah. way. So doing it in private. And also just something else that you said, Sam, like keeping empathy at the front of your mind, right? So like, mm-hmm. remember, trying to put yourself in this person's shoes. I have found that nine times out of 10, people who are getting caught up in lies and distortions on social media, especially, they are scared. They are fearful. They are looking for answers. They are looking for explanations. They're looking for anything that makes how they feel or what they think or their worldview. They're looking for anything to make that feel okay. And Mm -hmm. these disinformers know that and they are, you know, right as rain, they will be there to fill that gap. And so knowing kind of a little bit about the emotional situation that somebody who is getting taken by disinformation, knowing a little bit about where they might be and being a little bit willing to like have a conversation that that acknowledges that. Um, one of the reasons why I got involved in disinformation in the first place is that I, there's not really another way to say it. I feel like I lost a good friend to conspiracy theories and disinformation. And I feel like I waited too late to do the things that I'm suggesting that people do now. Like, I spent a lot of time getting into, like, heated back and forths on Facebook where we would be arguing in the comments and then people would be, like, texting me about it and it would be, like, a big, tense thing. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I, I later realized that I was just pushing him further and further into this kind of thinking. And, mm-hmm. you know, we are, we are not friends now. And mm-hmm. I look back and I think, gee, you know, what would it have been like if I had took the time to talk to my friend, have a real conversation about where he was at and why he was being drawn to some of these wilder conspiracy theories on the net, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, I would have probably found out that he had just moved to a new city and was really lonely. I would have probably found out that, you know, 
conspiracy theory groups online offer a kind of like 24-7 online community that he was probably craving. I would have found out all of this stuff, but I never took the time. I did everything wrong. And I just, I want people to know that if someone that you love, if someone who you have been in community with, you see them, you see yourself losing them, you have options that you can take. You don't have to do what I did, which is just do everything wrong and then like, you know, bitch about it on Facebook and then like be salty in the comments. You can, you have, you, you have resources that can help you figure out how to have this conversation. But I do think we need to be having these conversations. You know, I think that people that get wrapped up in this, they need to know there are off-ramps. They need to know that like they will not be shunned if they, if they come out of it. I think that's very important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great advice. Mm-hmm. Um, and you've mentioned some some groups already, but if you could go over um, some ways that they're, these groups are biting disinformation and misinformation, and for folks who are interested, how they can get involved. Yeah, well, PEN America is a great resource. They have a great guide, as I mentioned before. Um, I would be remiss if I did not mention my own organization, Ultraviolet. We are a gender justice organization that tries to build political and social power for women and non-binary folks. and We actually put out an ad calling out Sheryl Sandberg about disinformation on Facebook, so definitely check that out. And if you want to get involved, you can go to act.weareultraviolet.org and check out our campaign calling Facebook to be more accountable for their platforms. Love it. Yeah, I love it. Boom. Um, (laughs) Is there anything else you want uh, to say before we wrap up? Um, And then obviously you can shout out where listeners can find you. I would just say... I know things, you know, earlier today, Annie, you called our upcoming winter our dark winter. And boy, do I feel (laughs) that. Um, But I would just say, you know, stuff is hard right now. Stuff is dark right now. But we have each other. We got this. Like, I don't don't know. I guess I feel like so much of my day is full of doom and gloom and, and preparing for the worst. But, you know, I think we have each other. We have spaces like Stuff I've Never Told You to, to build community and have conversations. And so when times are scary or hard or cold and dark, just come back to that. Just remember that. We have community. We have each other. We have, we're have we not powerless. We're, we're powerful in each other. Oh, yeah. I'm going to take that little bit and uh, put it on my phone. Just to clip that out. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Because right before we were talking, I said how I found this article that said... Uh, how are you has become a triggering question. <laughs> so I like I like this positive note. And I definitely have have been feeling it, um, which was nice. It's it's almost like something was coming back to life at me that I hadn't realized had just sort of died off for a little bit. Um, so yeah, yeah, that's great. Um, and thank you as always for coming by, Bridget, and having these conversations with us. We love it. They're so valuable. Where can the listeners find you? You can find me on Twitter at Bridget Marie. You can find me on Instagram at Bridget Marie in DC. And if you want to have more conversations about how women are showing up on the internet, check out my podcast on iHeartRadio, this very network called There Are No Girls on the Internet. Yes, definitely do that. I'm still, I'm so prepared, Bridget, for the fan fiction episode. Oh, I'm there. We got to do it. I, I, I honestly, we got, we have to do it. It's happening. <laughs> yeah. It's happening. <laughs> Yes. You got to do this one. She's ready. She is you should, so honestly, ready. You're going to learn so many terms. Yes. I'm so excited. Honestly, you should probably just like mute and just like, I don't know, do something else and kind of pretend you're listening to me and let me get it out of my system. 
I wouldn't be offended at all. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> well, I look forward to that, and we look forward to having you back um, for the next next entry in what I'm sticking with the winter net. But if listeners have another <laughs> another better name, I will. I'm open. I'm open. I like I like winternet. I think it's got a nice ring to it. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I, I need constant validation on my title name. That's why we keep you around, Bridget. For the constant validation. <laughs> For titles. And good information. But also Also that. Um, also that. Um Listeners, if you want to reach us, you can email us at stuffmediamomstuff at iheartmedia.com. You can find us on Twitter at Momstuff Podcast or on Instagram at Stuff I Never Told You. Thanks as always to our super producer, Andrew Howard. Thank you. And thanks to you for listening. Stuff I've Never Told You is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. <laughs> 